0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Himalaya. Hello. Thanks for joining us on Think Like an Economist, which is a Himalaya learning production.
1: Go to Himalaya.com slash econ to get exclusive content and enter the promo code ECON to get your first 14 days free.
0: To find out more about Himalaya Learning and to try out our extra material, head to himalaya.com slash econ and get your first 14 days free by using the promo code econ at checkout. It's time to think like an economist. We're going to tell you the tale of two nations, both of which were pretty poor 75 years ago.
1: These two countries are right next to each other. They share the same language and culture.
0: 75 years ago, most people got by as subsistence farmers, meaning they only grew enough to feed themselves.
1: And then in the space of just a few decades, their fates diverged. One of the countries became one of the most technologically advanced places in the world, while little has changed in the other. The result is an average income of $44,000 in the southern country and of just $1,700 in the northern country.
2: Wait, is this a true story?
0: Yep, we're talking about North Korea and South Korea. Yeah, that would
2: fit.
1: What happened is that over these 75 years, South Korea invested a lot in capital goods. They're the tools that workers can use to make more and better products. It also became one of the most educated countries in the world.
0: Investing in people and capital goods led to the enormous economic growth that means today South Korea is much wealthier and technologically advanced compared to its neighbour in the north. Economic growth is the subject of this week's Think Like an Economist, with me, Betsy Stevenson.
1: And I'm Justin Wolfers. We're teaching you the super tools of economics that will help transform your life and the world. Nazdran Tavakoli-Farr is with us.
2: This example of North and South Korea is really interesting, as South Korea has transformed so much in the space of several decades. But if we look at the longer arc of human history, for most of that time, people were really poor.
1: That's right. For pretty much the last million years, people were hunter-gatherers, living a hand-to-mouth existence. The main focus of life was finding enough food to eat.
0: Things got a little better when people started farming around 12,000 years ago. People went from spending most of their time finding food to growing food to stay alive. Unfortunately, though, starvation was still common.
1: There were innovations, but they rarely led to sustained economic change because political systems were designed to keep any extras in the hands of an elite few.
2: This sounds really bleak.
1: Economists have actually tried to figure out GDP for this period in our history. They estimate that in the hunter-gatherer period, average income was about $200 per person per year in today's money, and it didn't grow that much after the advent of agriculture. Things only really started to move around the start of the 1800s, when GDP was about $400 per person per year.
0: Around this time in Western countries, there were some advances in agriculture, such as the use of new machines and new farming methods. By the 1850s, only a
2: quarter of people in Western countries worked in agriculture. You're talking about the Industrial Revolution in the West.
1: That's right, Naz. People started working in factories. The greater output that the Industrial Revolution allowed meant that they could feed themselves and still have time left over to spend doing other things. The arts, science and technology thrived. There were tons of inventions and new products which also let people produce more and create even more gains.
0: Average income per person worldwide doubled between the early 1800s and the early 1900s. It doubled again by the 1950s and doubled again by 1975 and then again by the early 2000s.
2: And why is economic growth important? We tend to assume it's a good thing, but why?
0: Well, when a country produces more, people have more to eat, better shelter, more comfort and cleanliness, better health care and more entertainment. Often even their jobs become more enjoyable.
1: People have resources to spend on things that matter for the quality of life. And they can make investments in education and machinery, stimulating further economic growth.
2: It sounds like we've come so far in the last 200 years.
1: Yeah, and this is because of a really striking mathematical fact, which is that small differences in growth rates can really compound over time and really matter. For example, if we go back a couple of centuries ago, the average income per person in the United States was $2,000, while it was $1,000 in Latin America. But the average annual growth rate in the U.S. was 1.6% over the next couple of centuries. And it was a smidge lower, at 1.3% in Latin America.
2: And by this, you mean that GDP in the U.S. has grown an average of 1.6% every year.
1: Yeah. And that growth rate means that over the ensuing 200 years, average incomes in the U.S. grew much more than in Latin America. In
0: 1820, the U.S. had twice the GDP per person compared to Latin America. But 200 years later, it was four times more. U.S. GDP was around $65,000 per person, but in Latin America, it was approximately $17,000.
2: So you're saying that a small difference of 0.3% per year, year after year for 200 years, has a huge impact. So small differences in growth rates have a big impact when compounded over time. That's right. So after thousands of years of little growth in parts of the world, life has really transformed over the past two centuries. But what exactly goes into growth? When economists think
0: about growth, we're thinking about two things. Using more of our resources and trying to do more with what we've got. Growth is about people and machines combining know-how to make goods and services.
1: Let's be a bit more formal. There are four main ingredients that go into economic growth. Labor, human capital, physical capital in technological progress.
2: And let me guess, labour is people working? Right,
0: so more people working means more can be produced. More people means a bigger pie.
1: Of course, if we have more people, because there's a bigger population, this also means more people getting a slice of that bigger pie.
2: You mean like how China's GDP is nearly ten times that of Australia?
0: Yeah, Australia's a puny country with more sheep than people.
1: Hey, I think you're confusing Australia with New Zealand. But this is why it makes more sense to scale GDP by the number of people in the population. Australia has a GDP per person or average income of nearly $60,000, while China's is less than $10,000. But China has a lot more people.
2: So when we talk about economic growth, we really should be focusing on how things change on a per person basis. GDP per
0: person can fall if people start working less, like if a lot of people decide to retire early or live longer without working.
1: And it can rise if more people decide to work, like when more women started working out of the home.
0: So there was a real revolution in the 1970s with more women entering the labor force and working outside the home. A lot of people want to know, what did that mean for the U.S. economy? I've done some calculations. and What I found is that today's GDP is roughly 15 percent larger than it would have been if we hadn't had all those changes. You know, if women today still work roughly the same number of hours outside the home as they did in 1970. That's one reason I've been so worried about how a lack of childcare in the United States led so many women to leave the labor force in 2020. We need those women to come back if we want to be able to produce as much as we were prior to the pandemic.
1: Childcare workers count when it comes to GDP, but oddly enough, a parent staying home to care for their kids doesn't. In our last episode, we said that GDP may be a helpful measure of well-being, but it doesn't take into account how we value our time not working or even how we produce things at home.
0: So we want to be a little careful here. We don't want all women to think that they have to work because of GDP. What this is really about is comparative advantage. Remember, that taught us that it makes more sense for a parent to do what they do best and to allow a teacher to focus on educating the kids. Focusing on comparative advantage is how we really maximize our standard of living. When parents stay home, those gains from trade are lost. And what about the
2: kids? Don't they learn more from teachers?
0: Well, I think they do. We do know that a good education helps kids grow up to be more productive as adults, who will then earn more. So, a solid childhood education helps future economic growth. This takes us to our second ingredient, which is human capital. This is about how skilled workers are, and it is also about education.
1: When workers have more skills, such as through more or better education and training, they produce more. We all know what it means to be more productive individually. But that productivity also matters for economic growth. One way we get economic growth is through increasing labour productivity. That is, increasing the quantity of goods or services each of us produces per hour.
2: This makes it sound like everyone should go to university, but surely that can't be right. There are a lot of jobs where you don't need a university degree.
0: Oh, Naz, if it were 100 years ago, you'd be saying the same thing, but you'd have been saying it about high school rather than college. Oh, not all these people need a high school degree.
1: To take advantage of technological change, you need people with education. In the 20th century, the faster economic growth of the United States was partly made possible by educating more people than any other country. People with more education can focus on more advanced production techniques.
2: We've looked at people and skills, and you've mentioned technology. So I'm guessing the next ingredient is physical capital, like machines.
1: Yeah. Economists talk about the total quantity of physical capital used in the production of goods and services, and we call it the capital stock. It includes machines and tools and factories, as well as infrastructure, which is usually provided by the government. So we're talking about things like electricity networks and telecommunications and roads.
2: Physical capital helps labour, or rather it complements labour, because people can produce more when they have tools and infrastructure to help them.
1: Yes, and businesses and government need to invest in these tools and pieces of equipment. They do that by saving some of their profits and then using this money to invest in their capital stock. In fact, this is such an important topic, we're going to have a whole episode coming up about investment and saving. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Investments in machines and human capital is just not going to be enough to get sustained economic growth. To do that, we're going to need our fourth ingredient, technological progress. It might be better to think of technological progress as new recipes that combine the other three ingredients.
1: So technological progress is coming up with new ways of doing things or even a brand new idea. So let's explore this by looking at the story of sand. For thousands of years, people used sand to sharpen their tools. Then around 1600 BC, people in Mesopotamia started using sand to make glass. That's an example of technological progress, People innovated and figured out a way to use this input of sand to make something entirely new and more valuable. Now, fast forward to the 1960s, and the silicon from sand was first used in computer chips. And as a result, silicon, or sand, has been a key part of the technological revolution of the past 50 years. As Silicon Valley has improved computer chips year after year, each of us has become even more productive.
2: Yeah, this is a really strong example of technological progress and how it's led to such dramatic economic growth over the past few centuries. Food is another example of technological progress. Today, only a
0: small fraction of the world population works in agriculture, but they produce more food than when most people were farmers. Now millions of people can work in science, the arts and invent new ideas that will lead to even more progress.
2: These days, we constantly talk about innovation as a way to increase economic growth. Is there something special about technological progress compared to the other three ingredients?
1: The beauty of technological progress is that growth can be limitless. Think about it. When economic growth comes from working harder, there's a limit because we each only have 24 hours in a day. And with economic growth that comes from increasing investment in new machines, the problem is that equipment eventually breaks down and will cost money to replace. But ideas... Ideas don't break down, and you don't need to replace them. And so it's possible for ideas to keep generating more economic growth forever.
0: Also, the beauty of ideas is we can share them. If I share my carpentry tool with you, then you can use it to make something, but I can't. But if I share an idea with you, we can both use it at the same time, too.
1: These ideas about ideas are a really big deal. And ideas can also help create other ideas. The invention of glass allowed people to create all sorts of things, from windows and cups to telescopes and microscopes. These have all allowed people to become more productive.
2: So you're saying there's only so much that labour can contribute to economic growth, but ideas are limitless. Yes, we can't just work more
0: hours using more tools indefinitely. Eventually, we humans have to rest, and it just isn't worth working more hours. And we can only manage to use a limited number of tools at a time.
1: And you can't just keep investing in physical capital to get more growth. An important economist named Bob Solo pointed out that the more physical capital per person you have, the less you'll increase output over time. We call this the law of diminishing returns.
0: We do need to keep investing in physical capital, but it's not because we want more and more tools per person. It's that the capital stock wears down and needs repairing or replacing. We call this depreciation. At some point, we have all the tools we need, and investment in capital is just about replacing the ones that break.
1: At that point, your only option is to invest in ideas to further economic growth.
2: So far, you haven't mentioned government. Now, is government good or bad for economic growth? Great question.
0: It can be either. Strong institutions are really important for economic growth.
1: Imagine you have a factory and your rival can just come into the factory and steal all your products and sell them because no one's going to enforce the law.
2: It sounds like property rights are important.
0: That's right. If there are clear rules about who owns something, then that gives you the incentive to invest and work hard. And property rights aren't just about physical ownership. They're about who has the right to do something, like who has the right to use an idea or dissolve a contract, Without property rights, people are reluctant to invest and to innovate as someone can just take the fruits of your labor from you and no one really knows what the rules are.
1: Government stability is also really important. Political turmoil can make people nervous about investing their money in a country as you don't know who's going to be in charge tomorrow and if they're going to change things around or maybe even steal resources. Take Argentina, which used to be one of the richest countries in the world. But political unrest slowed growth dramatically over the last 100 years. Are you going to invest your money somewhere if you feel nervous that everything could change in a few days or weeks and you could lose your investment? Probably not.
2: And how about regulation? It seems like people are always complaining about government regulation. You know,
0: regulation is a double-edged sword. You actually need regulation. But for strong economic growth, you need that regulation to be efficient. For example, a key measure is how easy it is to start a business – The U.S. is one of the fastest countries in the world to start a business. On average, it takes just six days to follow the rules and regulations needed.
2: In Argentina, it takes 25 days. So you mean to say that if starting a business is such a hassle, you may just not bother?
0: Exactly. But regulations can also help business and society. Rules can ensure that businesses don't lie to their customers, cheat their workers, and pollute the environment. Smart regulation puts businesses on a level playing field with the standards that people in society
1: want. Government can also help to encourage innovation. This is back to ideas again. For example, government can fund research, which can then be used in ways that help economic growth.
2: You mean like scientific research that's used to develop vaccines, for example, like COVID or malaria?
1: Seems pretty important, doesn't it?
2: And remember how we
0: said the beauty of ideas is that we can freely share them? Well, this can be a problem. What's the point in doing all this expensive research if someone else can use your ideas to make money? Laws and rules like patents and copyrights mean that other people can't use your idea, which gives you more of an incentive to work on trying to come up with the new ideas.
2: To wrap up, we've talked about how economic growth has released humanity from thousands of years of grinding poverty, and why some countries are just so much richer than others, in part due to economic growth.
0: You know, economic growth is often measured by GDP, but don't let that confuse you. Growth is really about how much happiness we'll enjoy, how much hunger we'll avoid, and how many babies will grow up to thrive.
1: As we try to think about the process that generates economic growth, it can be useful to think about the economy as being like a bakery. It uses a recipe to combine the key ingredients of machines, people, and their skills, and it uses that recipe to produce stuff. Ultimately, it's new recipes that drive growth. Innovation and new ideas are the key to driving ongoing economic growth. If we want more growth, we have to create the right set of incentives for people to develop new ideas. An important way to do that is to have strong government institutions that help foster the production and use of new ideas.
2: And what do you want our listeners to think about over the next few days?
0: In everything you do over the next few days, think about how much more productive you are than your great-great-grandparents were. Then try to figure out why. Is it because of the amount of effort you put in, the number of machines you get to work with, or the effectiveness of those machines through the extraordinary new technologies that you work with?
1: answer Betsy's question and you'll see how economic growth has improved the lives of your family over the past few generations.
2: Betsy, Justin, thank you. I'm going to go ponder where we may be in the next 20 or 30 years. Now that's an
0: interesting question, Naz. And today you've learned one big idea. It's that ideas are super powerful.
1: And so that idea, which is an idea about ideas, might be the most powerful idea of all.
0: So meta, Justin. So meta. Thanks for listening.
1: There's a lot more from this show and others like it on the Himalaya Learning platform.
0: Himalaya Learning provides bite-sized courses from world-class thinkers and industry experts for you to enjoy in the app,
1: on the go. For exclusive content, including bonus episodes and supplemental materials, go to himalaya.com econ and enter promo code econ at checkout for your first 14 days free.
0: Himalaya.com slash econ has loads of great shows like ours. So try it out using the promo code econ at checkout to get your first 14 days free. It's time
1: to think like an economist.